That's yeah, are we awesome. are we starting? Is this can we do prayer and talk about I, that? Yeah, I'm that's, I'm that's good. good I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Hey, before we talk about Sister Miriam James, can we talk about the fact that we sold 93 t-shirts? We sold 93 t-shirts? Yeah. Holy cow. That's awesome. Yeah. I was very, very excited. Now, of course, then I was like, oh, man, we didn't hit 100. But I was glad when we hit 12. <laughs> and then when yeah. we hit 25, I thought, hey, nice. Keep in mind, our goal up. was 12. Yeah. So that is true. Yeah. That's the beauty of setting terrible goals. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. I uh, thank everybody for, for buying one. Shout out to the fans. They should be going out a couple weeks shipping. Mm-hmm. Dang it. I will say, I mean, that's awesome that we hit 93. That's really great. Thank you for all the support. But I am a little disappointed that we didn't hit 100 either because Martha Griswold was going to get a neck tattoo of Three Dogs North if we did. Oh, so, oh, oh man. Shit. So, like, pretty big missed opportunity, but next time. <laughs> next time. Yeah. yeah, I should have bought her 10 more shirts. Dang it. Dang it. Did Dang you end it. up buying her one? Don't don't answer that. What so what happened with the sister came up to the seminary? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so she came up, she did the morning of reflection like what you did. Mm. Was it yeah. uh thirty thousand times better? <laughs> um I mean, I don't know how to say this, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> it's like when Homer Homer is on the softball team for the nuclear power plant, and Mr. Burns brings on brings in all the ringers, like major league stars. Daryl Strawberry is there. <laughs> it's like you're Daryl Strawberry. Yes, you play right field. Yes, so do I. Are you better than me? Well, I don't know you, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like that, Connor. It's exactly. I don't know like how to that. answer this, but yes. Yes, she was better. Yeah, anyway. I don't know about 30,000 times better, but... An order of magnitude better. Maybe 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. She she was very, very good. Um, and, you know, in, in your defense, you're a dude. Mm-hmm. And it's just less compelling um, than having, like, a beautiful holy sister get up and talk about... Uh, talk about the gospel that's just something that you can't do connor mm-hmm. because you're just a you're a dude you're a ginger dude yeah glass ceiling <laughs> yeah i mean that is the glass ceiling man <laughs> i cannot be captivated by your beauty mm-hmm. in the same way that i am captivated by a holy religious sister who's totally in love with the lord it was great man and she's she's very strong and um obviously she's very talented and and speaks uh, frequently so she's she's polished mm-hmm. um and so she has this this great balance of being able to speak formally but then to have these like vulnerable sharing moments that's not too much but it's like just the right amount and you can kind of laugh with her about it and um yeah she's, she's just a, she's knows, a total pro she knows exactly what she's doing yeah 
Um, and then I got to get to have lunch with her, uh, just at one of the sim tables and it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, but it's, I mean, it, there was something about, uh, you know, certain people when they, when you see them, it like reminded me to live the fullness of life. Like mm. I, I had all these, I had comps yesterday and I was like worried about all this stuff. And, and then after that talk, I was like, dude, I need to be fully alive right now. Like sister Miriam just kind of reminded me of, um, the goodness of the resurrection there. And I don't know, just something about obviously listening to her talk, but just kind of being in her presence. She just has, has one of those effects where it reminds you of the goodness of God by seeing her. You're like, man, I think yeah. that's what a saint is. I don't know, <laughs> but it was just, nice. yeah, it was, it was beautiful. So the what did she talk about? Yeah. What did she talk about? Um, <laughs> She used the readings yesterday as the structure of her talk and spoke about um, the beggar at the beautiful gate when he's reaching out and he's asking Peter. Um, she made the analogy that Peter is the church and representative Peter is the priest um, and that the beggar who's asking for money, who's asking for alms, is the world and although he's actually he's asking for money that what he's actually asking for is an encounter with Christ so when you come as priests um, quit trying to give people stuff and communicate the encounter with Christ that's the power of the resurrection with people because that's what they're really longing for and so don't try to be a priest who fixes everybody's problems but be a priest who shares the power of the resurrection you're like yeah that's uh that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's basically like, exactly what I said. <laughs> it did, it did have similar hints, in? though. Yeah, I mean, it, it had similar tones to it and um, similar points, but and then she went into some of the identity stuff with as priests. Um, oh, she's very in, good on that. Yeah, I remember taking a picture of a so, slide she she put up. She gave a priest day talk once. Um. And normally those are pretty dry. It'll be like one of our fellow priests. Actually, Father Hennessy gave it at the Chrism Mass this year, which was excellent. Vintage Hennessy. No but a lot of times no. they're not they're not really that deep. And anytime the priests get together uh, and a priest starts talking to us, it always feels a little like, I mean, to your point, you're just a dude up there. Like, you're just one of us, you know? And then it starts kind of feeling like shop talky. And you're also more tempted to judge them because they're your peer. But when she got up, well, this was the same at seek when her and sister Bethany Madonna gave their talks. It was, it was like palpably different. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know quite what it was, but their, their, gonna, authentic, their authenticity and the, the depth of the truth that they were speaking. Yeah. It was like both, it was both theologically very uh, sound and also deeply experienced by them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to say it, because I'm going to throw, I'm going to say something, and I don't really know what it means, but... Yes. <laughs> Diabetes? <laughs> uh, uh, but I remember when I heard uh, Sister Miriam at Seek, I just remember thinking, like, she lives at the depths every day. Like, that's where she goes, and that's mm -hmm. where she stays. And I don't really know what that means. And I've been trying to, this is, I don't know if this will pivot us here, but... I've been trying to like read with Divine Mercy Sunday coming up. 
there's all these cool little like it's just interesting how devoted John Paul was to Divine Mercy to me. And it, that just kind of hit me the other day of like, like what, when we say like Divine Mercy or Divine Mercy Sunday, like what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Like why was this such a big thing like in John Paul's mind and heart? But I also feel like Sister Miriam knows the answer. So any thoughts on that jumbled mess there? Do you guys know what Divine Mercy is? <laughs> well, I've never read the. the I haven't either. Faustina stuff. Either. So yeah, yeah, I haven't either. Shoot, should we should probably talk about this? Yeah, that's a pretty. Yeah, that's no, as poorly talk. researched as it gets. Well, Dang. here's the thing. I just found this out that apparently, when John Paul canonized Saint uh, Sister Faustina, now Saint Faustina, he said it was the happiest day of his life. Huh. When, wow. he, when he canonized her. And I, I know how like translations can go, et cetera. So I, I don't know how well sourced that that is. But apparently, like he said, it was the happiest day of of his life when he canonized her. And then it's interesting. He died on like Easter Saturday. I didn't realize this until I was reading it. But he died on Saturday, April 2nd. And then Sunday, April 3rd that year was Divine Mercy Sunday. Yeah. Um, and he actually, it was, he was adamant so that like the message on Sunday, he had actually written on divine mercy and was adamant that it'd be read that day. So it was like the first thing read from him after he died. So they were having in a sense, like the, I don't know what it was like, but I think like a, a mass for his soul or something like that. And then some archbishop got up and it's just a very short, you can find it on the Vatican's website of like just talking about divine mercy and and how important it is. So I've been just starting obviously to wade into to that if you guys have any thoughts. Well, what does he say? What does he say divine mercy is? Uh, well, he doesn't really define it. Yeah, I can try to find it. Uh, I okay, I still have it on my phone. I just remember one of the things I remember from St. Faustina is uh wasn't her spiritual director like somewhat doubtful that she was getting locutions from Jesus and asked her to ask him what his last, what the substance of his last confession was. And she did. And Jesus said, I don't remember. Mm. That to me is like emblematic of divine mercy that it's total and it washes away everything i don't know I, I mean i think it's linked to the sacred heart this is so silly that none of us know this because this is yeah. another thing you feel like when you're a priest is like all your all your blind spots are exposed because people will be sure. like why didn't we celebrate this uh you know saint feast, <laughs> or, you know <laughs> margaret mary alico oh. she's the patroness of the sacred heart and like my home parish was sacred heart and i don't know what that means <laughs> you know i do like <laughs> i do theoretically but I didn't grow up. This is another thing about our generation. I didn't grow up with any of these devotions, really. Um, and I yeah, think no, no, that, St. Faustina man. is Polish, so obviously Carol Wojtyla would have been especially fond of her, but also people just prayed devotions, you know, Our Lady Perpetual Help and stuff like that. Okay. But the Chaplet okay. of Divine Mercy. This is, okay, this is the paragraph, in, and it's literally three paragraphs that John Paul left to be read after he died. And this is the one I found interesting. He says, as a gift to humanity, which sometimes seems bewildered and overwhelmed by the power of evil, selfishness, and fear, 
The risen Lord offers his love that pardons, reconciles, and reopens hearts to love. It is a love that converts hearts and gives peace. How much the world needs to understand and accept divine mercy. So that's just like a, it's a basic, it kind of sounds basic in yeah. some ways, but like, this is what he left to be read, mm-hmm. you know? There's got it, there's something with like that, it's a gift to humanity, and then I, I don't know, I'm struck by the line like, which sometimes seems bewildered and overwhelmed by the power of evil. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard people speculate on that before as like, like levels of sin, et cetera, and like, and maybe it is like maybe like devotions and, and certain types of like proper piety are that important to like get Catholicism and like mercy and divine life into your blood and into your bones. Like, yeah, I mean, I certainly I'm more and more, I think, a believer of that. But it's just there's something that's mixed with it for me of like just the whole like you're OK thing that's mm-hmm. like preached so heavily that it's like people are so afraid to enter into their own depths or to like recognize the levels of their sin because they like subconsciously know they subconsciously doubt that it could be forgiven. So it's Mm -hmm. easier to take the route of like, well, I'll just pretend it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and, and bury it. And so it's like, I see it as this kind of, I don't know, like this move of propelling forward, like, no, we need to understand kind of anew the depths of mercy that are available in order to even engage like the hurt and the wounds and the sin that is there. Does that make any sense? Yeah. You know who did a good job on this? You remember the year of mercy a couple years ago? Um, yeah. Father Nick Blaha did a series of sermons at his Newman Center. He podcasts his homilies that are quite good um the diddy catholic campus center d-i-d-d-e if you look it up on itunes but i listened to him and um his idea was to read literature like he gave a reading list to the kids of um kind of classic western literature that showed what mercy looked like and he defined it uh very well and i'm gonna do a bad job at repeating it but it was something like you know the misericordia thing like the miserable heart um, is the Latin word for, for mercy. Uh, it's when your heart feels like compassion suffers with someone in misery, basically. Um, so there's a, there's an unequalness always in mercy because there's somebody outside me whose misery I see. And then I, someone who's not miserable, uh, enters into that misery, suffers with them and provides them relief basically somehow um i mean god's mercy is reconciling so it's forgiving and our misery is self-imposed through sin and guilt and stuff but works of mercy corporal works of mercy clothing the naked feeding the hungry visiting the imprisoned those don't all have to be your fault but it's still a work of mercy someone who's not in prison to go into prison or someone who's uh, got extra clothes to give them to the naked person um and he get, he told the story, I went and read it, the, like the very beginning of Les Miserables, you know, the story of Monsignor Bienvenu, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that whole, that whole story, which is such a great example of mercy to me. Um, You're talking about the actual book. Yeah, the book. Is that not yeah. in the play where the, the priest or the bishop is? Uh, oh, no, it's like the central part to the play. That's this. Oh, great. 
this, uh, what is it? Jean Valjean? Is that his yeah. conversion moment? Yeah. Yeah, but you're not talking about like the bishop has his own story that they tell. Is no, that no. what you're talking about? Well, okay. they do a nice job of t- of like laying out what the bishop is like by yeah. Oh, uh, when he oh. when he comes to town, like he switches houses with the with the hospital because he's got this big bishop mansion and the hospital is like this one room house. Yeah. So he's like, I think we got our houses mixed up, and he switches and he has no servants. His sister lives with him and kind of like takes care of the mm. house, and he just goes and serves people all day and people give him money but he doesn't hold on to any of it he's just kind of a broker between the rich and the poor and making sure everybody's needs are met yeah um, but you're yeah. but you're talking about his central act of mercy to jean yeah, valjean exactly like when they, jean valjean yeah. tries to steal from him sticks yeah. right. it changes his life that's the pivot point of his life right and to me that's i mean that shows what mercy looks like and and what it does almost sacramentally um but yeah, it does seem so simple. It's almost like, why is this so deep? Um, Dude, well, hey, actually, if we can stick with that movie, uh, excuse me, play slash book slash movie. Um, I love the movie. It's super, oh, yeah. super good. Um, one thing that I noticed is that um, the scene after Jean Valjean receives this merciful act of the bishop, if you listen to the music, that the way that they did it, I don't know if it's the same in the play. But he has this he has this wrestling moment where he has to he has to accept the mercy of the bishop as being let free, not for anything that he's done whatsoever. But the bishop just totally gives freely and that he can change his life and go on. He has to wrestle with that and actually accept it and receive it. And if you listen to the music of like that struggle moment, it's the exact same music um, that they play when Javert receives the mercy of Jean Valjean at the end of the at the end of the story. Oh, that is cool. Wow. And and he has to struggle to accept it and it kills him. Yeah. It's it's the thing he literally cannot do it because it doesn't fit in the framework of how he understands fairness or truth or justice or mercy. It's it's literally too much. And so this the same mercy is offered in freeness in in liberty and love for the other person, total gift, and one accepts it, lives a new life in conformity to God's will, and the other one, it literally casts him to his death. Hmm. It's Peter and, and Judas. Yeah. It is Peter and Judas, dude. It's the same story, but like I think that's what you're talking about, Rob, where it's like, is there hope? Do people actually believe in mercy. And I think that may be what JP is getting at there. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I'll never it's forget. Just... I've, I'm sure I brought this up, but remember when Father de Gaulle was talking about the German theologians who had gotten together to kind of petition Benedict to basically change church teaching on all these um, controversial sexual issues, um, abortion, gay marriage, contraception and stuff that we needed to update the teaching and all this stuff. And somebody in class asks him, why are these guys so like fixated on these things? You know, um, why, why do they want so badly for the church to change? And father de Gaulle, as only he could kind of like looks in the sky and just goes, (laughs) yes, I think it's because they have never experienced the mercy of God. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) 
I mean, you could think about that for the rest of your life. Like, what, what, it, what is it that you're trying to, to buck all the time, you know? Yeah. Because you just can't chill and relax and really realize that, yeah, it's hard. These teachings are not easy. Um, but God forgives you, you know, despite the fact that we can't live the law. Like, the law is not what needs to change. We do, you know? Yeah, no, that is like there's something in what you just said that is like very deep at the at the core of at least what we're what we're talking about, because uh, there's just something different. Uh, like just the and again, it's not that it's bad intentioned or anything like that, but the whole <clears throat> kind of cliche language of like, you know, I whatever it is like the let go, let God stuff or like don't worry about it like you are you know you're forgiven except which like again it's not that it, it can't, it's not that it's not true necessarily there's just something like felt or qualitatively different that when you know what whoever like whatever we're talking about if it's sister miriam talking you're just you there's like a palpable difference yeah. there in it um no, it's I don't not know, cheap. It's, it's not man. cheap grace. That's the Dietrich Bonhoeffer it's talks about cheap grace. Not cheap grace. Yeah, yeah that is true. Like that is true. It's, it's felt like you. Yeah, your misery is your solidarity with Christ. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not. It's not like oh, Christ is risen from the dead. I mean, that's what dro- always drove me crazy about resurrexifixes instead of crucifixes and like fifteenth yeah. stations of the cross and. All like you, the cross doesn't make any sense unless Jesus rose from the dead. Let's not worry about how Jesus died. Let's worry about how he lived. You know, like no, but his death is so central. I mean, that's the act of divine mercy is having his heart pierced, like opening up himself to be wounded by us sinners. Um, and then when I am wounded, that's when I'm like him and I feel communion with him. Um. But there's no cheap grace like, oh, Christ rose, rose from the dead, so my life's just going to be awesome now. Um, right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, that's what the church talks about with the sacraments, which are the mediation of God's mercy to the world. They flow from the cross. Like, that's where the church flows from. That's, I mean, there's a lot of different moments where the church is, is born, but like, the church is, is very clear in her teachings that it, it doesn't, I mean, the power flows from the tomb of the resurrection, but that the sacraments flow from the side of Christ on the cross Mm -hmm. and and the sacraments that's confession, that's baptism, that's, that's everything that we're baptized into the death of Christ so that we can rise with Christ. Um, yeah, it's not something that you just, (laughs) you can't bypass it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a totally different experience when you see somebody who has really died with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we talked about that U diagram, didn't we? From the place we find ourselves, like going to the bottom of the U on Holy oh, Saturday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run through yeah. it real quick. Like, give us the 10 Well, seconds. so it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday of the Paschal Mystery. Um, betrayed, <clears throat> abandoned, uh, killed, descend into hell. And then rise again to new life on Sunday. The resurrection is always a gift, a surprise, and uniquely tailored to your heart. Mm. Um, so it's not 
it's not just like a boilerplate oh yeah christ rose from like when you tell like imagine telling someone and we do kind of do this sometimes with funerals like let's wear white and it's a celebration of life and just like telling people how to feel all the time like don't Mm -hmm. be sad because jesus rose from the dead uh there is no skipping the bottom of the u you have to go to holy saturday where he's dead everything's over nothing's nothing's okay nothing's gonna be okay but then out of nowhere some surprise gift exactly tailored to what you're longing for is presented to you and so all the resurrection accounts are different because like it's each person mary magdalene at the tomb or peter on the shore of the sea every every resurrection account is tailored because he's divine he knows your heart better than you know it to like breathe life back into you Mm -hmm. Um, but you can't skip over the bottom of the you and just be like okay yeah i got betrayed abandoned um and killed but i'm just gonna go come back to life now you have to and, you have to descend into that desolation yeah and there's something like there's just a capacity for someone that is actually like by not cheap grace you know, like by real grace actually living in the reality of the resurrection that then has like the freedom and capacity to go back like to help people Mm-hmm. that are at the bottom you know i don't know i think we've talked about this in the cast before but it's like that band of brothers uh scene when is it like lieutenant spears or something he goes to connect with the like the other company oh, yeah. they're they're taking the um you know they're taking scene. whatever city it's you know, it's one of my, the best ones of that show but it was like it, it wasn't the most amazing thing wasn't that he was able to like run through the field of the enemy and like get to where he was going, but that after he did it, he came back, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know? And so he just like jumps back over to like get with his men. And I don't know, it, just thinking of some, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, is that when the, all the Germans are sitting there just baffled? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they don't start shooting at him until like the very end because they're so surprised mm-hmm. by it. Yeah. Um, but there's, I don't know, there's something deep with that scene of, like, if you use, I like that U diagram as well, but there's something of, like, man, if you're, you, you know, at the, like, the other side of it after actually being on Holy Saturday in it, like, the capacity to go back then and, like, help people navigate. And I don't know, that's that's real stuff. Dude, it's a little abstract, but it's real, yeah. It is totally real. They, Peter... Since going to the Holy Land, like Peter has really been, he stayed with me a lot as a figure of of somebody who who has received the mercy of God, and and his isn't it is not cheap grace. Um, like you know, we're doing all these readings from the Acts of the Apostles, and Peter's walking around like a boss, like healing people, yeah, he and his shadow literally just falls on people and they're healed, and he you know, gets on the roof after Pentecost and is preaching to the Jews that they killed Christ to the leaders, to the, to the Jewish people. And he says, I know you're in ignorance, but this is what happened. But it was so that everything could be fulfilled. This is the dude who 50 days ago or 40 days ago or whatever had denied Christ. And like, it's so mind blowing to think about. I think his sin is in every single one of the gospels mm-hmm. that it, this is straight public sin that everybody would have known about. Um, and now he's, this is the guy who's standing up and walking around like he's full of divine life. 
like telling us how to live that the guy who literally denied mm-hmm. Jesus to his face, according to, I think, Luke's account. But the thing that, that stays with me is um, the experience of God's mercy for him and his forgiveness is brutal. So like he denies Jesus around around the fire and the first place where Christ takes him to do the triple, do you love me? Do you love me? It's around a fire that like Jesus comes back right to the same circumstance to the same place where Peter, I'm sure, you know, we kind of reads like, oh, they're just having this like bro breakfast. But I bet that would have been terrifying for Peter to be back around a fire, warming himself, eating with Jesus, who the last time he was around a fire was when he denied Jesus. Yeah. But like the Lord takes him back to that spot, not to torture him, but to to heal him and to love him there and say, hey, even when you denied me, like I'm still with you. I, I still love you. And I, I always see that as the place where Peter is going out and, and then can, can preach like a boss, like not afraid of his sin, but able to communicate the encounter with Christ that like Sister Miriam was talking about because he legit was like at the fire. And the, you know, that fire, it's not, that's not a fire of judgment. That's not the fire of hell. That's like the fire of God. That's the fire of God's love there. Um, and there's something like when you meet people again that are able to walk with the Lord back to the, whatever that, that fire is, and like they've actually experienced Jesus saying, I love you, in the same circumstance, in the same, the same way, uh, and people live from that place. Yeah. I mean, I remember Father Fuller in our spirituality class, our spiritual theology class, said that there's a famous tradition that when like the first disciples who hadn't who had never seen Peter or had seen Jesus but had heard like accounts of his stories and then when they finally saw him for the first time the thing that they would notice was he would have like uh they looked like creeks or like ravines in his cheeks mm. because he would he would so often weep uh over his own sin but over over Jesus his deep love for Jesus that it was like something that literally was ingrained into his face that mm. he had received the love of Christ. He had been forgiven, um, but it, it wasn't something that debilitated him. He didn't live in his sin. And yet that was like somehow how he experienced God's love and how it stayed with him. He never lost the cross. He, he always stayed there. But he would go around and he was the leader of the church the guy who publicly denied Jesus three times. And like, you can only do that if you've really been forgiven and like, you know it. Yeah, no, there's something. Yeah, man. I was thinking of when you were talking there of this story, uh, it's, he's a priest. He'll remain nameless, of course. But like he shared with me one time and he shared this, I think I mean publicly as well, but it was just like, his story is so radical of how he came back to, like the faith and then ended up in seminary, et cetera. And he's one of the best priests like I've ever been around. Uh, but he talked about like a big part of his conversion as he was really going through like some deep stuff, like deep healing, et cetera, was he would have all of these images from like his past life that kept like haunting him and coming back and like just hard, hard stuff that would keep coming back. 
So he would literally like lay in bed and he had a little prayer card of like the Jesus I trust in you painting um, from Faustina. And he would just hold that in front of his eyes as like, I mean, like right up next to his face. And he would just like stare at that until he fell asleep Um, and saying like, and it took him, this was like 10 years after he started that. And he's just, he's one of the most like, in terms of like knowing himself and like what I would say is like knowing the Lord's mercy in my life is no, that's a hundred percent in his life. Uh, but that's a hundred percent true. But he also knows like the depths of his own sin, maybe more than anyone I've ever been around as well. Mm. And so there's like this, just this confrontation as he, and he who wouldn't, I don't think he's ever worded it like this, but he lets like, just like a, full frontal assault like he let like the gravity of his own actions his own sins like the implications etc like come at him and it's like he held up this little like image of jesus and it was enough to like sustain him through that and so it's just it's just one of those people that you talk to him and you're like this guy like knows how dependent he is on god because he clings to jesus because he knows what he can do without him. Hmm. I've always been amazed by the <clears throat> the sins that get uh, recorded in the Bible. Like Peter's one is bad, but David <laughs> to me is like the most oh, yeah. humiliating. Could you imagine like everyone in the world ever basically knows what you did and you you were just like laying about being lazy decided to indulge your sexual appetite appetite for somebody else's wife and then killed her husband because you got her pregnant. And then you're still like the best king that you're They're all waiting for your successor to come and save Israel. Um, I don't know. You, you, people have crazy stories of, of like, I was really far from God and I came back. And sometimes I'm like, wow, I wish I could imitate that or or you feel like a little inadequate like did i not have as dramatic of a conversion story but i do have my things but i'm not i just don't i don't want everybody to know you know and not everybody should know everything that's why it's kind of between you and god and the seal the confession all of that stuff but Mm -hmm. oh for sure when you when you see it in these people's stories um I don't know. It's their, that is their strength is the fact that look at me before, you know, St. Augustine, same thing. Like I'm not, I'm ashamed of this, but it's also like a way to praise God is to show you what I was like before him changing me, you know, that's, that's humility to me. Like when you, yeah. the truth of the matter is kind of like your story of the, the guy who was a slave to, was a crack for 18 years? Oh yeah. You know, yeah. like this guy's not putting on any airs. He's not trying to like get on a podcast and talk about how productive he's being, you know, like he's <laughs> like, I was a slave to crack cocaine for 18 years and all I thought about was getting my next fix and now I'm free. Thank God. Yeah. That's my Dude, story. And that's- yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, you see that and yeah, the idea of real humility um that when you can glorify God even with your weakness. Like, look, I'm 
I'm going to glorify you with everything, which means even my sin, even my past, like all of those things are now a proclamation of your saving work. And like if you can, I know a couple of priests who are like that and they're Gubersteins and they do (laughs) some of the funniest, goofiest stuff and they make like all sorts of, you know, whatever, like little clerical administrative mistakes and, and they just laugh it off. Like, Mm. not like I don't care, but like, okay, I need to do a better job next time. But like, even this is going to give God glory. Like what, how (laughs) every facet of your life is giving God glory, even your weakness, which I say that, like Paul says Mm -hmm. that we need to do that. But how are you doing that? Mm. It's like, even your crack addiction, this is not the priest. Now we're back to the crack (laughs) addict. (laughs) Even that is now proclaiming the power of God. It's like, man, how are you that free? How are you that alive and fearless? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, part of it is like, part of it is like we're public people. And, um, sometimes I feel like we've had this conversation too offline that people kind of need you to be a certain level of together and they don't want to hear all your deepest, darkest stuff. But, um, so there's that. Um, but I also think Scott, Scott Harder once said in a homily to us when he was a deacon that, um, if you get up and preach and you never get vulnerable, with people and he's a master of this he he started to talk to catholic school teachers about how he had pooped in his pants uh, <laughs> like he's he does not put on airs he does not hold back and then he was like and then i realized they were recording it and it was going up on their podcast and he's like well whatever <laughs> like, and now i'm talking about it here but um yeah he said that if you if you get up there and you like just stop short of the kind of vulnerability where people can really finally identify with you and see the truth of what you're saying because you've lived it, you know, but if you like stop short and just kind of paint over your kind of rough edges, um, and make it seem like I'm the wise person who knows everything and listen to me. Certainly there's a part of preaching that's didactic, but it's also, it's also spousal. Like it should be life-giving and generative And part of the reason we're celibate is because we give life to the church through our, our, you know, kind of vital energies of life and love, as Hennessy puts it, the kind of eros of uh, celibacy is that like you, you in your lack long for another and you, you give life by pouring yourself out. And if you don't pour yourself out fully, he said, it's like spiritual contraception. You're basically like not giving your whole self, you're holding something back and therefore it's not going to bear fruit. Um, people will not be changed by it, you know, and that's the power of Peter's homily on Pentecost when he gets up there. Yeah. People all know he's just some barely literate fisherman who denied this Jesus, who now he's so boldly proclaiming, who is he? And, but then that's like the subject of his preaching. Like we all killed him and ran away from him and denied him but he came back from the dead and forgave us and now we can now we can turn from idols and change our lives and you know i can in the name of jesus give you life in your legs and your eyes and your in your heart again um that's the 
gift surprise uniquely tailored to your heart thing that I think why why it's important to put a story in the homily is not like, oh, this is just something for them to listen to. I remember sometimes as a kid just waiting for the story in the homily because most of like the theological boilerplate kind of abstractions were not interesting to me. It just sounded like church talk. But as soon as the priest started being like, so I went to the grocery store the other day and I saw this blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, something that happened today, you know, that I can relate to somehow. But um, it's not just about that. It's about like, what is your story? Like, prove to me you believe what you just said, you know, Mm. Um, by showing me. Show, don't tell. Yeah, well, it's like, I wonder if that's why, well, and I'm sure there's many, many reasons for this, but you know, John Paul was just like so unafraid to be seen with Parkinson's and like deteriorating mm-hmm. in the way that he was. Um, of like, you look at pictures of him, man, like from when he was elected Pope to like when he in oh four oh five when he was getting towards the end, and he's still just out there. And like, you want to talk about a level of freedom and being unafraid and like vulnerable just by your being? Like, mm-hmm. man, that's it. Yeah, we out here. That's the thing kids say now. Did you know that? What? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, we out here. We out here. You know. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. I don't know. It's just it sounds provocative. You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nobody knows going. what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, we out man. here. A very good friend of mine. That movie changed his life. And <laughs> In you, a good way? Mets knows who I'm talking about. Well, Man. it's it's Porter. I'll just throw it out there. Yeah, <laughs> it's Porter. <laughs> I went to see I went to see I'm Blades of the Glory part. in the theater when it came out. In co- I was probably a senior in college, and I went with like ten guys from the Newman Center, oh. and we all laughed the entire time. I felt the same way through Napoleon Dynamite and Team America: World Police. Like. Those three movies, I from start to finish, I was laughing. <laughs> I'm so glad you shared that because that does give me a better feel for your comedy. I I, I do think that those encapsulate your your sense, sense of humor. Of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Absurdist. Yeah, very absurdist. Um I don't wanna I don't wanna Chaz Michael Michaels real. is figure skating. Is figure skating. <laughs> this is a, a skater's little... body. Dude, we're girl. such old people. You just threw out a phrase and we're all like, I know. Like, what does that mean? I don't, grammatically, it doesn't make any sense. So, so let me throw out another phrase from our time that we know. So from a movie that we know. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I have many books, leather bound books. <laughs> Rich mahogany shelves. Um, this little girl wrote, drew like a little picture on one of the bulletins in the church one time and the mo- mother gave it to me. And it's like a picture of a church. And then it just says, Father Connor is church. <laughs> and I thought, I immediately thought of Chaz Michael Michaels is figure skating. <laughs> yes. We're, we're doing a thing on the cam here where we're trying, we're trying to turn church into a verb. Just, oh, to church? Hey, we church. Yeah. Are we going to church. church now? Let's church. church. It just, Let's it's, church together. <laughs> we church. I church. So you're, are we doing the conjugations? I church, you church, he churches. Yes. 
cliche yeah, day we, at churches. We church. Yeah, the past would be like, I don't know. We'd have to do some hip abbreviation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, are you guys uh, still down to do this ebook? Yeah, Dude. yeah. I got my life is crazy for another like week, and then I'm going to Colorado to the Porter Cabin, which would be awesome. And huh. then I'm going to start hammering it out. Are you going to do a, a shower of aspen leaves again? Oh, I hope so. I don't think that's a thing in the spring, but mm-hmm. that was amazing. Oh yeah, that, that was false. Yeah, speaking of aspens, that, yeah. speaking of aspens, my um, little EP album thing is probably coming out in the next week or two. A little place um, called Aspen. Little Aspen, <laughs> where the where the water flows like where the wine flows like water, and the and the, the women no, 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 instinctively flock uh, like the salmon of Capistrano. <laughs> we are just nailing it today with the old yeah. references. Dang. Um, it, it was also, if I can just put this out there, super cool and encouraging to just get all the feedback from folks that was via awesome. email. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's funny. It was, it's crazy, man, how, how well people respond to that and how funny. We have some funny fans. Yeah. 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 The haiku. Whoa. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he I, li- I really and won his own competition in the same email. Yeah, that was impressive. <laughs> I gotta say, I really the spirit of Three Dogs North. I don't know what is. Yeah, to say that I really like the people that listen to this podcast. It's cool that we've yeah agreed. I mean, except the, except some obviously, but well, yeah. Dave Singleton, <laughs> <laughs> listen Stapleton. If you still listen, <laughs> I'm sure he does. Um, no, shout out to Singleton. Singleberry. <laughs> Saperstein. Wait, what's that from? Saperstein? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, anyway, so, yeah, so look got, for the uh you got two man, chapters we are. done, dude. Yeah, we're knocking this thing out. We're doing it. You have two chapters done, Connor? Yeah, did you see them? I read your first one. Um okay, that's what that was your second one about the bed. Uh yeah, make your bed every morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Man, I am like struggling to find. Do, do do we have all the ideas posted? Yeah, it's on the Google Doc. Okay, and we there's other ten ideas. We 15? have fifteen like like general ideas. Okay, okay, yep. and feel free to add or tweak or whatever. Yeah, I really okay, awesome. All right, dudes, I gotta get going here. All right, man. Hey, good to talk though. Yeah, good talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Anything else? Anything else to? Quick, I got like two minutes. Any quick rundowns before we before we go? I got AirPods for my birthday. Oh, <laughs> wait! What I love birthday? AirPods, man. Mm-hmm. Five days ago. Oh, dude! Sorry. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday! Thanks. It was Holy Saturday. Oh. It's kind of busy. Wow. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. I definitely remembered. It was just too busy to text you. <laughs> so oh, good. I'm, I'm 34. I, Who cares anymore? 34. Right? Oh yeah. my. Goodness! Oh, dude, do you're like, yeah? Do you have aches Gross. and pains and stuff like that? Actually, though, yeah. Gosh, that's it's all good, disgusting. man. It's better. It beats the alternative. Am I right? <laughs> Getting old. Uh, what? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> the alternative to getting old is dying. I, oh, mm-hmm. I gotcha. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, that's true. I gotcha. I gotcha. That's an indication of how old you are. That joke. 
We out here. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.